Good morning, and welcome to the Commission on Aging and Adult Services August meeting. Microphone. Will Secretary, please call the roll. President Gustavo Serena. Here. Vice President Katie Liu. Here. Commissioner Steve Arcelona. Here. Commissioner Martha Knudsen. Here. Commissioner Michael Pappas. Here. Commissioner Janet Y. Spears. Here. Commissioner Teddy Vrijas. Here. And please note that Executive Director Shereen McSpadden is present. At this time, the Commission respectfully asks that you silence all cell phones and sound producing devices. Before begin beginning, I would like to welcome Commissioner Spears. And for the first time in a long time, we are a fully staffed Commission. Welcome. If you like, you can tell us a little bit about your background. Well, thank you so much. Um, first, I'm very happy to be here and serving. I'm currently the um, CEO of MetaFun, which is a private foundation here in San Francisco. I've lived in the city since 1990. Um, my background is uh, engineering, um, uh, undergrad and graduate degree in engineering. And I worked at AT&T for 23 years, retired, and then spent uh, about eight years over at East Bay Community Foundation um, learning about the philanthropic sector. And then for the last two and a half years, I've been here in San Francisco running the Meta Fund. So thank you. Thank you. That's a wonderful background. <clears throat> um, item number two on the agenda is approval of the agenda. But I would like to make one correction on item C. It should be during the period of September 1st, 2019, not July 1st, 2019. But with that correction, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do you have a second? Second. Um, any comments or questions? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item three, approval of the June 5th, 2019 meeting minutes. Do I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do you have a second? Second. Any comments, questions, or corrections? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? I, Thank you. I abstain since I was not here. Yes. Um, the motion carries. And now item four, the director's report, Shireen McSpadden. Good morning, commissioners, and welcome, Commissioner Spears. It is great to have you here, and it's also great to have a full commission. I think it has been several years, so... Um, very excited to work with all of you. I think I want to start with the um, kind of national level stuff. I just came back from the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging conference and um, board meeting. As you know, I'm on I'm the California representative for N4A, and so it was a meeting in New Orleans. It was really nice to be in New Orleans, although being in New Orleans in the middle of the summer is a little harsh. We had one, um, we, we had a couple present, I was involved in a couple presentations, one on some of the work that we're doing with respect to dementia and Alzheimer's in San Francisco, and one where we were talking about our approach to diversity and equity, um, which was a general session. In addition to that, we had um, Katrina Williams, who actually works for HSA in the DHR, in the Human Services, sorry, Human Resources Division, who came and did a training on um, implicit bias and equity and inclusion. And that was really well received by the um, participants in that workshop. The other news, and I may have mentioned this earlier because we knew about it earlier, is that we were the recipients, once again, of an award, an achievement award for 
the partnership that we have with Community Music Center and the senior centers um, with, with the older adult choir program. So Community Music Center was there with us to receive the award. It was really exciting for them and we've gotten some, there's been some press in um, San Francisco about this. Um, but it's really, it's such a great intervention and the people who are involved in the choirs report regularly that, that they feel more healthy and more engaged in all of the things that we hope for when they are involved in a choir. At the state level, I think we also talked a little bit about this earlier on in, in when we met in June about what the budget was shaping up to be, but um, it, we did, aging and, and disability services did well in the budget and there were, um, in addition to some of the, you know, Medi-Cal enhancements, the things that we often focus on are, are um, our community services, and we did very well in the areas of nutrition at the state level. Um, ADRC, Adult Aging and Disability Resource Connection, got funding for the first time ever. It's, this is something that comes from the Administration for Community Living and it's kind of pushed down. It's really a way for um, aging pr services providers and the independent living providers to work together to really think about how we serve people with disabilities and, and older adults together. So we have an ADRC in, in San Francisco and there are seven others across California and hopefully what this means is we'll actually get some state funding for the first time instead of funding this with solely with local funds. Ombudsman also got some much needed funding which is really exciting and um, really needed when we think about what you know ombudsman does is go go out and, and look look at the quality and the care in skilled nursing and assisted living facilities and they're much understaffed and so and under resourced and so this was really exciting and then we also got for the first time um, some money for falls prevention and you know we all know that falls are so are so hazardous and often you know people in the hospital and then often sometimes people don't come out I mean it's really falls are bad <laughs> so um, get, this is the first time that the state has put money into this and it'll be exciting to see how it gets distributed throughout the state and what kinds of ideas that um, get funded and what kinds of programs get funded with that money right now um, we don't know yet if it's this is going to be ongoing funding or one-time only funding hopefully it'll be ongoing because then we can really uh, Hopefully San Francisco can apply for some of that and, and see what we can do with that. Um, locally, we had on Monday something really exciting happen and that was that we had an older adult and um, disability work fair. And the Office of Economic and Workforce Development along with the Community Living Campaign and um, the Dignity Fund Coalition and DOS put this together. Um, we also had some funding partners who were really helpful in making it happen. Um, but we, anyway, it was exciting. I think it, the attendance was beyond what anyone would have expected. We had, I think, 400 people signed up before the actual event, and it, I don't know what the final count was, but it was really successful, and it really showed I think to some people's surprise what the need and the appetite is for for work for older adults and people with disabilities and and I think it was the beginning of something that a much hopefully a much stronger partnership between human uh, Department of Human Services the office of early uh, or office of um, economic and workforce development and DOS 
um, along with our community partners and funders to think about you know, what does this look like moving forward? How do we make sure that we're continuing to, you know, advocate for older people and people with disabilities to be included in the workforce? And also, just how important it is to have a diverse, you know, in, including diverse in age and, and ability, when what that does to the workforce and how it enhances it. And I think we just need to keep hammering that message home. And then reframing aging, which I mentioned periodically, um, is moving along. And we are, through the Community Living Campaign, our partner, our community partner in this effort, um, are continuing to work with the creative agency. And the creative agency that we're working with has, has come up with some um, campaign ideas for us. And we've, we've been, our work group has looked at all of them and we've kind of gotten down to one idea. And so now, the community, the creative agency is working with um, a media by agency to talk about the best best ways to get the messaging on this reframing aging campaign out into the greater San Francisco community. And so you hopefully in the next couple of months will be seeing the fruits of that labor um, out and about in town. And I'm hoping that when people see those things that they can you know, photograph what they see out in the community and, and use social media um, with your own networks. I th you know, for those of you that use social media, I think it's gonna be really exciting and there's gonna be a way for all of us to be involved. So beyond what um, Human Services Agency is doing and beyond what um, the creative agency is doing in, you know, the, the, the buys out there, there's gonna be a way for us all to engage in this. And I think that's gonna be really crucial. Um, and then I think, I'm going on and on, um, I think that's about it for now. Um, if I'm, I'll take any questions if people have them. Thank you, Shireen. Any comments or questions, Commissioner Arcelona? Not, not a question, but just a comment. I was able to attend the, uh, the work fair on Monday. Um, it was so encouraging, frankly, to see so many different city departments working together um, on this effort. Uh, it was crowded. Um, it was the folks there were enthusiastic both on the job seeker side but also the employers who were there. Uh, they were doing on-site interviews and uh, you could just feel the excitement in the room. So I, I congratulations for the effort. Thank, Thank you. you. And actually I do have one thing that is on my list and I just skipped over it and that's that um, I talked a little bit about the name change for the department earlier on and just wanted to give you an update as to where that is right now. So um, President Yi introduced the name change to the full board um, It then the proposed name change went to a rules committee and passed out of rules committee and it was then um, signed onto by the full board. And so right now the board is um, in the process of putting the, the um, proponent's argument onto the ballot, and the mayor and the board will be presenting that together onto the ballot, and um, and so then there's some activity that needs to happen after that, but then we'll see what happens. Um, one of the things that it does is it changes the name to Department of Disability and Aging Services, and so that, that the fact that the department serves dis people with disabilities is clearly, clearly in the name, and I, the second thing it does is it, it specifies the makeup of the commission to ensure that there's a person with a disability on the commission and that there's a veteran on the commission. 
um, and an older adult, which having an older adult on the commission has never been an issue. I mean, we've always had that, but it specifies the other two as well. So. Thank you. Any other questions or comments for Shireen? Thank you. The next item is the employee recognition. The DOS Commission and Executive Director Shireen McSpadden will honor Sarah Bunting from the DOS Office of Adult Protective Services. So um, we have, I don't think we've honored anyone from Adult Protective Services recently. So could everyone from Adult Protective Services stand? So we all know Adult Protective Services is such a critical service in, in counties in San Francisco is no exception. Our, Adult Protective Services program is particularly wonderful. I hear this all the time when I'm um, going around the state, how well established our Adult Protective Services program is, how we've really started using data to inform our practices, and how we really do a lot of research as to what best practices are and then employ those out in the field. And I always tell um, the Adult Protective Services workers when, you know, when I see them that I have so much respect for what y'all do because it is really hard work, and it takes a lot of passion. And it takes a lot of putting your, you know, your education into practice, and and really also figuring out ways to take care of yourselves. And so, I just want to thank all of you for the work that you do every day. We are so grateful to have you, and as are the people that you're working with all the time. So, Sarah, this is so well written that I'm just going to read <laughs> what your colleagues said about you. Okay. So Sarah Bunting's work in the field of aging and disability of over 20 years has proven to be an asset to Adult Protective Services. Sarah has served as a protective services worker for the past 12 years. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has extensive experience with and knowledge of developmental stages and how the aging process can affect one's ability to maintain one's independence, safety, and, ab and ability to protect oneself from abuse and neglect while living in the community. She utilizes her clinical skills to set appropriate boundaries while working with clients with complex family dynamics, and, is, and she's skillful in recognizing how mental health issues and personality traits can affect a client's ability to engage or to accept services. She's a strong advocate for her vulnerable clients and applies a non-judgmental and culturally sensitive approach to her interventions with clients. Sarah also adopts a humanistic approach to working with her clients and recognizes the importance of a client's right to self-determination. During her years at, at Adult Protective Services, Sarah has mentored two Master of Social Work student interns from UC Berkeley. This allowed her to further develop her leadership skills and guide the interns through, many, through the many systems when helping vulnerable adults and elders resolve abuse and neglect issues. Under her guidance, the interns gained the knowledge and skills to become successful social workers in the community. Her dedication also extends beyond her clients. She recognizes the importance of self-care, and has participated in two APS retreat committees. Sarah tirelessly worked on scheduling the monthly unit's officer of the day schedule for the last three to four years. 
These are just a few of Sarah's attributes that make her an asset to our APS team. We thank her for, caring, for her caring dedication to protecting our vulnerable clients in San Francisco. So, Sarah. So, Sarah, on behalf of the Department of Aging and Adult Services, you are our Employee of the Month for August. Thank, thank you. you. should take this. Thank you. <clears throat> Next is Diane Lawrence with the Advisory Council report. Welcome, Diane. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Serenia, um, Executive Director McSpadden, Commissioners. Um, the Advisory Council met in June and again in July. We did not take a summer break. We'll take that in, uh, in December. Um, and that was a decision of the Council because we discussed whether we wanted to take July off and they felt that the momentum was moving well, so why, why take a break? So my report is a June and July report. Um, so um, basically what one of the changes we've made is if there's the Dignity Fund and Oversight Advisory Committee now meets six times a year. So we only have them on the agenda after a meeting rather than have put them on the agenda and say, oh, there's nothing to report. So there's no report in um, June, but in July, um, they reported that the additional $3 million that's allocated in the Dignity Fund legislation has been allocated. And the, at their September meeting, the uh, Dignity Fund Coalition will have a special panel discussion on the master plan on aging. Um, we had Pyra from Senior Action speak to us at the June meeting regarding our pedestrian safety committee. Um, and I'm not going to go into a, a lot of detail, but basically um, he gave us a bit of history on Vision Zero, the goal of achieving a no deaths uh, by 2024. Um, doesn't look like we're on target to do that. Uh, things started out well. But over time, there's been more, much more of a collaborative effort amongst the various groups in San Francisco. Um, while there was a decrease um, initially in these, this is kind of, um, has, has not been substantive over time. The Vision Zero Coalition um, was established as a result of some of this collaborative work um, in the two, early 2000s, and it meets quarterly, um, and it's led by the SFMTA, um, the Department of Health Safe Streets for Seniors, and people with disabilities program. And um, there were problems that still exist, uh, including a top-down development approach, a high there's a missing of a high-risk priority list, a plan, this is in uh, Mr. Ra's um, purview, uh, view. Um, he did say that in the community where presentations are being made, we see things beginning to change, and an example of that's in the Excelsior, although he wasn't specific. Um, so there still needs to be 
um, issues like the removal of bus shelters. Things have changed at bus shelters for particular reasons, but then that's an impact to seniors and adults with disabilities. Um, designated bike, uh, bike lanes, some of the slow improvements um, that have been agreed upon. Um, there's been a current increase in pedestrian fatalities and our um, kind of uh, issue most of this year is in this discussion are non-accessible streets and sidewalks um, at construction sites. Uh, and we see a lot of that as we go to 1650 mission. And President Serena, if I could just clarify that um, Pyra's from Senior and Disability Action. Okay. I was, yeah. I will make. Um, so we, um, the LGBT updates, um, there, again, there was no report in June. So that's, we're going to continue to work on our pedestrian um, discussion. We um, had some discussions with executive committee with Shireen on Monday about that. Um, and um, then the next group, our LGBT updates, there was no report in June, uh, but Dr. Edelman uh, advised us that the 95 Laguna housing facility will open in September, and it will be, uh, there will be LGBT workers uh, that'll be working from Mercy Housing, and Open House and Onlock will be working together in a hybrid approach, so we're very excited about that. Um, because Dr. Edelman also serves on the State Commission on Aging, we had her give a report on the latest um, commission meeting. And she told us that the group meets six times a year at various parts of the state, and they do that so that they can go to different senior facilities uh, in the area where the meetings are held. Um, the number one issue coming out of the commission for this year, which is also an issue here, obviously, in San Francisco, is housing. Um, the commission itself had put together a master plan on aging, as did Justice in Aging, and both groups found this, the same common themes, equity, housing and economic security, coordination of services, and workforce. Um, we have our membership committee gave a report. We have a number of openings. We've reached out to the five uh, supervisors for their districts. We have a uh, call with one uh, from Supervisor Yee's district, District 11, on Friday, and we are not District 11, District 7, and we will be, um, and she will be attending our August meeting to get a feel for the, and the responses are cycling back in. Um, there were no site visit reports given in June, and that was deliberate because we're trying to do site, give more time to site visits every other month. So July was our site visit report month. We had two site visits. Um, we had about two more that we needed to do, but we ran out of time uh, because we had a dis quite a bit of a discussion on one of them. Um, so that was the Stanford Hotel, where we, um, which is the meal program, and then also the West Portal Clubhouse, which is a fairly new um, nutrition site in the West Portal area. Um, and then we had a, vest, um, a guest presentation by Rebuilding Together um, on their Build the Block program. Um, and then our meeting this month will be a presentation on the area plan for 2021 to 2025. Six members of the council attended the workforce um, job fair on Monday. Um, it was excellent. Uh, the 
the energy and the um, uh, the noise level <laughs> was was quite intense, and it was really nice to see some major employers in San Francisco, as well as the public sector and community-based organizations. It was a really great collaborative effort. And then two supervisors were there, um, Supervisor Brown and Supervisor Fewer, as well as the mayor, and I think that gave it a lot of extra energy. Thank, thank you, Diane. Um, Diane, <clears throat> just a question on the pedestrian safety issue. I understand the logical focus on automobile accidents and streets and with the bike lanes, but the city keeps approving additional motorized vehicles. Often they are on sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And also there seems to be very poor enforcement of bicycles on sidewalks. And so does that come up? Because the sidewalks themselves, as you pointed out, are treacherous enough without these motorized vehicles. And then when you add the motorized vehicles coming up behind you, um, it's as much a danger as crossing the street. I, I was actually just thinking that as I was walking up here today and a scooter kind of almost knocked me down. Um, and there were hor horns honking as a on-call ride-sharing service was blocking a lane. Um, yeah, that has come up. We're not quite sure what to do about it. We've spent a lot of time talking about safe streets. Um, I actually am on the safe, I, my sidewalks in front of my house have now been targeted for uh, work uh, under the stri safe street program. So I'm a um, case study for, for the pedestrian safety group, but we have talked a lot about that. And I, that is an issue that keeps coming up in all these groups. Good. Um, yeah. So yeah, that is a concern. Commissioner Knudsen? Because I attended these meetings as well, because I sort of self-appointed myself to be the commissioner. <laughs> Which we're very pleased. Of pedestrian safety, because I live on Van Ness. Um, and what we are discovering is it, it really is a movement that is taking shape here. A lot of the work of SF Walk and other uh, groups that have been in existence for a while, they're all part of these co a coalition that's, that feeds into visions. Commissioner, can you please speak into the mic? Yeah, I'm sorry. And, and we do have good staff members on that, that participate in these meetings as well as advisory committees. So all of these things we are participating in and giving a voice to. What I am realizing is that 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 pedestrians is it, it is a movement in in evolution uh, you might have always known about what the bicycle coalition was doing and in a lot of ways they're a model for us but um, they what is happening around pedestrian safety is as uh, things are designed it's all about getting into the design of uh, the work plans and the design of bike lanes and the design of, of construction plans. So uh, like every public policy thing that you get involved in as an advocate, it's always drilling down into the details and knowing how people uh, can actually affect change. And I am heartened by the fact that um, that some of these pedestrian safety groups are definitely getting involved and making those changes. We can play a part, and, and things like, and it's like when you build a park in San Francisco and everybody gets involved and 
um, that such. So, uh, and, and different fact, different people get involved, and the park is built so it meets many, many things. So what I'm trying to say is that the when you look at what's going on with the bike lanes and the formation of bike lanes right now, the pedestrian safety people are engaged in that, and that's a good example of how they're trying to make sure that pedestrians can get a, a, across things. So that's one example of a design that feature that's happening. So as we, as we stay engaged as a commission, as staff members, as people in the advisory committee, we're helping to helping them advocate for this change. And so I, I do feel like there's a real role that sort of collectively we're all playing and that there is an evolution in the advocacy around this. But it's a, a lot of it is just drilling down to those details and figuring out how, how you actually get a voice to MTA when they're designing something. That helps a a little bit, but all of those things, when you start to, people start to talk about it, they're all being brought up. Good. But it's being integrated into public policy in the same way it always does, kind of slowly but surely, is what I, what I think is happening. And I yeah. think the thing we've also found is that the work that was done on the Van S corridor, which I know both um, you, uh, Commissioner Serenia and Commissioner Knudsen live on, that is now m moving out to the Gary Street Corridor process. Mm -hmm. And that is between Gary Boulevard and Gary Street. That's going to be a long, multi, probably decade mm -hmm. process. But they're taking some of those lessons learned and moving them out to that. And I see that as a yeah. good sign. They're not starting in isolation. Yeah. So it's like most of it where you hear a lot of, lot of stuff. People, a lot of people are getting involved, and we're slowly getting that integrated. But I would say we, we play a good part around yeah, keeping the part. pressure going. So. And just making us aware of all of the, the myriad of groups and sometimes you know, showing up at the, the meetings mm -hmm. where appropriate so that we point out the, the needs for um, older adults and adults with, yep. and persons with disabilities. And you see some changes with the, just in the crossing where the crossing, you, it's still red while the pedestrians are allowed to cross. Or I've noticed right around here, the cars are supposed to stop back further and then the cross, and then the crosswalk, so there's a buffer. Um, I think there needs to be some outreach to tell drivers that those are the best. <laughs> yeah, that's the next step. Yeah. Or Thank you. Yes, to tell her. Thank you, Commissioner Pappas. Yes, uh, Commissioner Knudsen. Under the SFMTA, is there a particular department or uh, under which all of this falls? It's the planning part of it. So it's these you have to learn about. It's like it's like getting involved in the uh, environmental impact report mm -hmm. phase of things. So it's a lot of collective. It's not a department per se, but it's getting involved in the planning part where they're, de they're actually designing, doing the design of it. And that's, that's where mm -hmm. you have to have a voice so that things get designed in a way that is safer for people. But all of these ideas are now be getting, being heard so that they're, yeah. they're starting to integrate that. I'm just wondering if it... It's a subtle thing like being involved in... I'm just wondering if it might not be a bad idea under the department itself... Uh, the SFMTA, if whoever under whose purview the planning is might uh, come and make a presentation to us on ter in terms of their philosophy and process, it might be of benefit to the, the broader commission. Right. No, there's definitely staff members that as we're participating in these collective groups that, that we staff, that are our department staffs, MTA staffs as well. Mm -hmm. so what I'm trying to describe are these 
committees that meet regularly and they hear from staff from DOS and they hear from, you know, it's an MTA person who then takes it back. So I'm saying all this stuff is getting integrated, but it does take a while to figure out where, where, where does that voice matter and, and what can we do. But all of these sorts of uh, design ideas that you're starting to hear and really I think we're all becoming more knowledgeable about them. Everyone knows about red, red lights <laughs> what an idea. Imagine mm -hmm. stopping a little bit and giving the pedestrian time to get across before the car starts coming into the intersection. Mm -hmm. What a concept. Well, now that's something that is pretty much accepted, and we're starting to do that in San Francisco more. So I'm saying that's, yeah. yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> um, any, uh, any other comments or questions, Diane, on the Advisory Council Joint Legislative Committee, <laughs> Diane? So... Uh, we're continuing to monitor about 43 bills. Um, again, I've just given, I didn't even include the June update. I just went right to, <coughs> to July. Uh, the legislatures have been on recess, and they're on recess till next Monday. And then next Monday, there's a whole slew of hearings for a number of these bills. 12 of the 43 had no action taken um, between June and July. And what we're beginning to see as we're six months into this new session is some bills have, are starting to become two-year bills. For exam, example, um, Senator Pan's bill on long-term care um, and benefit supports. Uh, this is a bill we hadn't been monitoring. That has moved to a two-year bill. So we'll be talking about it through the rest of this year and then into next year. So we're starting to see some of that. We're starting to see in bills like AB 387, the pharmacy, the drug labeling bill that I've been presenting on since I've been on joint ledge. Uh, that's now morphed into a task force on drug adverse effect from putting what the drug's supposed to do. So it's kind of taken its whole, a, a real switch. Um, so how that goes forward is, is another issue. Um, so basically we have, uh, and we've had, the good news is two of the bills we've been monitoring are now signed and chaptered, so they're part of California law. One is the Elders and Dependents Abuse Abandonment um, that was sponsored by State Senator Dodd. That was a senior legislature-sponsored bill, and that basically extends remedies in cases in which a defendant um, is liable uh, for abandonment um, as defined under certain conditions, so it really addresses a new issue. And then the second one is by Assemblyman Chow, and it's on emergency medical services training. And this requires EMTs and standards to be established um, that would include a training component on to how to interact with persons with dementia and their caregivers. Um, and it would be consulting with community organizations on behalf of um, California residents with dementia or Alzheimer's. So this is a this is a, a big win. Thank you. You're welcome. Any comments or questions? No. Thank you very much, Thank Diane. You. <clears throat> Next, the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council. Report. Uh, good morning, Commissioners, Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Mark Burns. I'm the Executive Director of Homebridge, and I'm a member of the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council. Uh, it's my pleasure to share with you this morning the minutes from our July meeting. Uh, we are on recess for the month of August, so you won't be hearing from us again, I think, until your October meeting. 
Um, to begin with, we welcomed into um, the council Dr. Mishi Yukawa, who is the medical director for the uh, Veteran Administration SNF here in San Francisco. Um, we then had a significant um, budget conversation led by Shireen and Susie Smith from DOS um, on both the state level and the city fiscal year uh, 20 budgets. Um, it was exciting to see in the governor's first budget that um, a lot of items in long-term services and supports which have gone um, <clears throat> unfunded um, or unimproved over the past um, administration are getting attention. Uh, we think there's still a lot of room to grow, uh, but it's good to see that the governor is beginning to pay attention to funding some of these um, items which have been short budgeted for so long. Um, for the past several months, the steering committee and the council have been hard at work on reorganizing um, the council's effort, um, moving us from sort of stagnant long-term work groups to more time-limited, um, topical, policy-driven work groups. So we have um, just put that on the ground. We have um, health, housing, nutrition, social engagement, transportation, and workforce groups. We're going to be starting three of those off right away, and then as those uh, finish their policy work, we will start the other groups up. Um, only so many folks to go around on the work groups. Uh, so we look forward to sharing with you some of our policy development and recommendations that come out of these, this new work group structure. Um, and lastly, I'm very excited to share with you that the council, in collaboration with the Dignity Fund Coalition, will be sponsoring what is to be the largest statewide public policy forum on the new state master plan for aging um, on Friday, September 20th from 1.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon. We are um, targeting having um, more than 1,000 uh, people in person and over 1,000 on a live stream, which is going to be produced by SFGovTV. Um, that we are going to be sponsoring watch parties in a lot of the congregate meal sites, senior centers, and uh, um, adult day health uh, centers. Um, we are going to have opening remarks by Commissioner Spears. Thank you, and congratulations on your appointment. Um, our panel is going to be moderated by Dr. Bruce Chernoff, who um, is the CEO of the SCAN Foundation. The SCAN Foundation has been a major sponsor of the master plan concept over the past couple of years and had it included in um, the governor's electoral promises. Um, on our panel, we'll have Senator Wiener, Assemblymember Chu, um, Board President Yi, um, Board Supervisor Fewer, um, leading age California President um, Jeannie Martin-Parker, and um, Executive Director McSpadden. We also have an invite out to Assemblymember Ting, have not yet heard back from his office. Happy to answer, and we will be in, save the dates are gonna go out in uh, <coughs> the next day or two, and registration will begin in about two weeks. Thank you very much. Um, any comments or questions? Thank you. The case report was submitted in writing, and I think everyone should have received a copy this morning, but we have a spokesman on the list. Good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning, Commissioners uh, and Executive Director McSpadden. Um, welcome to Commissioner Spears. It's great to have you uh, on board. And may I just introduce my remarks by saying it's, it truly is wonderful to, to see a full commission. Good things. Uh, we have had a very busy summer uh, through July and continuing um, both in finishing up our, our budget advocacy work from uh, this past year for the 2019-20 budget. Uh, we have added a new board member um, and we have been continuing our planning and fundraising efforts for uh, September's Getting There Together event. Uh, Regarding our budget advocacy work, we're very pleased with, with the impact that the efforts uh, with DOS, both with DOS and City Hall have had. 
resulted in new and additional funding for the senior choir program that you heard about earlier. Uh, technology, infrastructure, um, and support, dementia daycare programs, some of the most frail and vulnerable of our, our senior and disabled population, group van transportation for adult day services clients is a long-running um, troubling need that uh, I'll speak about again here in a minute, um, and then case management services. Um, and also just a note that as I've talked about a number of times in the past um, around the need for um, transport, a fix, if you will, uh, for transportation for seniors and disabled, we are upping um, our advocacy efforts. Uh, I'm taking place, uh, taking part now with um, the ADS Adult Day Services um, Committee, which uh, does a lot of advocacy work um, in transportation. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome a new case board member, Dan Gallagher, uh, who is executive director of Stepping Stone. Um, though he, he joined uh, Stepping Stone within the last year, he's already been incredibly active in advocacy work, and we look forward to having his experience and expertise along with that of Stepping Stone um, working with us. Um, we continued uh, having uh, presenting outstanding programs to our case membership. July's presentation was a, um, a panel on creative aging, which uh, featured Laura Mason of Engage, Katie Wade with Covia, and Jessica McCracken of Bethany Center. Uh, they gave a really remarkable uh, and engaging presentation on innovative programming, creative programming that uh, their agencies are currently offering. Uh, as well as led us in a discussion about uh, innovative perspectives on aging, which um, will continue as we try to um, truly reframe aging and, and move to the forefront of, of those efforts. Um, our August meeting will be focused on uh, advocacy efforts for the upcoming year. Uh, we do an annual brainstorming session where members uh, give their input on areas uh, where funding is needed. So uh, that, that's always a, a, an important kickoff, if you will. And then finally, um, very excited uh, to present you with the flyer for our Getting There Together event. We are furiously planning, and still fundraising, <laughs> I'll admit, um, for the September 8th event, uh, which is a both a celebration of of aging and people with disabilities, um, but please know that it is for all ages and all abilities. Um, it's not just a celebration, it is a resource fair. We currently have, I think, somewhere around 30 um, vendors that will be, sponsors and vendors that will be exhibiting. Um, it includes an open uh, air gymnasium uh, where we hope to have a um, Powerball d soccer demonstration, um, soccer played uh, by uh, people in motorized wheelchairs. Um, we'll do uh, uh, Qigong, Tai Chi, meditation, um, and, and other um, interactive uh, things. So, uh, oh, also a performance by the combined senior choir, so a group of 350 to 400 seniors, um, which will hopefully lead a sing-along. We're hoping for a, a Guinness uh, Book of Records for the largest senior sing-along. 
so great times. Uh, there will be more uh, info coming out, including uh, uh, social media campaign, uh, and we hope to see you all there. What questions may I answer for you? Thank you very much. Um, Commissioner Pappas. Now, as the uh, representative of this body to the in-home supportive services uh, 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 group, that I just wanted to express thanks for the presentation you made, Greg, uh, on July 16th to the group. It was, it was informative, uh, it was inspiring, and, uh, and it was helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Thank you very much. Next item on the agenda is old business, and there is none on the agenda. New business, item number six. Presentation on the expansion of CalFresh benefits to SSI slash SSP recipients. Staff to present. Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director Shireen McSpadden. My name is Anna Marie Lara. I'm a program analyst with um, San Francisco Benefits Net, um, which, in other words, is CalFresh and MediCal. Um, I'm here today to provide you with an informational presentation on CalFresh expansion to SSI recipients. Um, and this is going to be a PowerPoint presentation. So let's see. OK. Terrific. Um, okay. Okay. So I want to start off with a with a with a statistic here. Um, it's estimated that one in four San Franciscans are food insecure. Excuse me. Can you speak into oh, the mic? Oh, sure. I'm sorry about sorry. that. Okay. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. So it's estimated that. Do you one want the in microphone? Sorry. Yeah. Could I? I'm sorry. This keeps kind of dropping. You. Okay, so it's estimated that one in four San Franciscans are food insecure, um, which means that they don't make enough money to, to pay for three meals a day for themselves or for their families. CalFresh, which is formerly known as food stamps, um, is a federally funded supplemental nutrition benefit known nationally as SNAP, S-N-A-P. It increases meal budgets and access to better nutrition for low-income households. Benefits are issued via an EBT card, which acts a lot like, it, like a debit card, um, which can be used at grocery stores, farmers markets, and select restaurants. The average household monthly benefit in San Francisco is about $210 a month. So starting this summer, more than one million new Californians are now eligible for CalFresh. This is a big change to the state's program. Um, and any SSI recipients who do apply and receive CalFresh will receive no change or reduction to their SSI or SSP grant. So again, who will benefit? SSI recipients and SSP recipients. And this slide just gives sort of a definition of what SSI and SSP are. Okay, so California was the only state that did not allow SSI recipients to receive CalFresh. 
but Assembly Bill 1811 reversed this policy. So really awesome, positive news there. And we want to say big, big thanks to all the hard work of food and nutrition advocates for making this happen. Yes, round of applause. Okay, so this slide just gives a brief overview of who is eligible for, you know, or what the eligibility criteria is for CalFresh. Um, essentially, it's any household or individual in San Francisco with low to no income who is within the income eligibility limits. And that limit sort of changes from time to time. So what we do is we include that in a chart on the San Francisco HSA website. And if you just do like a keyword search for CalFresh eligibility, it should pop up there. Um, who else is eligible? SSI, SSP recipients starting June 1st, 2019, as well as illegal permanent residents and qualified immigrants. And the CalFresh benefit amounts, they range. It could be anywhere between $15 to $192. And, and it's really based on like household size, income, and your expenses. Um, and if you don't spend your CalFresh benefits in one month, it actually rolls over to the next month, which is amazing. Some other pretty amazing perks um, for CalFresh and EBT. Um, we have something called the Restaurant Meals Program, where um, you know folks can use their EBT cards at certain participating restaurants in San Francisco. Um, they can also get up to $10 in free fresh produce at farmer's markets. Um, free and discounted uh, admission to local museums like the Exploratorium um, and discounted muni passes. Oh, sure. F5, I think, is... Oh, my God, I don't see F5. Is it this one? Oh, oops. <laughs> Sorry, let's the uh, technical glitch here. We're back, okay. Let me just skip back. Okay, so, so this slide just gives a bit of demographic information. Um, according to the state CDSS, California Department of Social Services, there's about 40,735 SSI recipients living in, in San Francisco. Um, and of that number, 54% are female. And then below that um, figure there uh, is sort of a breakdown of the ethnicities, right? So 52% are English speaking, 29% are Cantonese speakers, and so forth. Um, more demographic information, um, you know, so based on those who um, receive SSI in San Francisco, 50% were eligible due to a disability, 46% are due to their age. Um, and again, some more data there about ethnic breakdowns. So this is a really cool slide. Um, it shows um, sort of the zip codes in San Francisco and where these SSI recipients live. Um, you know, which zip codes have the higher concentrations of SSI recipients living there. So if you look at the top, there's this sort of key there and sort of the darker colors show the higher concentrations of SSI recipients. So if you look at the map, you know, like 94124, that's the Hunter, you know, Hunter's Point, Bayview area. A lot of SSI recipients living there, as well as, well as the 94102, 94103 area um, zip codes, sorry, I'm saying area codes, zip codes. Um, 
and that would be like the Tenderloin um, neighborhood. So what we've done is um, to help sort of handle the influx of work that will come with, you know, meeting the demand of all these new clients, um, HSA has hired some new staff. Um, we've hired a total of 33 new FTEs, and this slide provides a breakdown of those um, classifications. So, um, for instance, one 0923 manager, two, three clerks, five senior clerks, and so on. Um, so, in a nutshell, this slide just explains that um, if there's an existing CalFresh household with an SSI member who was previously, in, was previously ineligible for CalFresh, the SSI member does not need to submit an application for CalFresh. Um, they just need to wait until their annual recertification comes around, and then the county will automatically add them to the caseload. So, you know, just want to make that point. And also that once we do add the SSI recipient to the caseload, um, there's a very small chance that household benefits may decrease. Um, and so I guess the, the, there was another slide prior to this. I guess it didn't make it on. But um, there are two programs called the SNB and TNB, which will help offset any sort of decrease that may happen to the caseload um, figure. So if, if, their, if their allotment goes down for whatever reason, then SNB, TNB will kick in, and then that will help offset that and bring them back up to their um, original amount, uh, benefit amount. I hope that makes sense. Okay, so this slide here just shows a little bit about the media coverage um, around CalFresh expansion to SSI recipients. San Francisco, um, San Francisco Chronicle ran an article, um, KTSF 26, um, as well as KCBS um, Radio. So a lot of good press out there um, about this positive change. Um, community outreach. Okay, so. So this gives you a calendar um, sort of, of events um, that we've taken on. Sorry, let me just get to the right page here. Um, bear with me. Okay, there we are. Okay, so this is an overview of HSA's communication efforts. Um, it's a calendar of activities through the fall. Um, the state of California is also conducting statewide outreach and paid advertisements that will benefit San Francisco. Um, so if we look um, on the far left, um, the May column, you'll see that HSA um, co-partnered actually with DOS on holding two community forums where um, over 200 um, food security organizations and DOS providers attended. So it was really, um, really a great turnout. Um, and, and thanks to DOS for partnering um, with us on those two events. And then if we skip to August, um, you'll see that um, we launched the 211 San Diego phone campaign. Um, so 211 San Diego is a vendor um, that we work with. And what they do is an outbound phone campaign to, to those you know, 41,000 SSI um, recipients in San Francisco to help them apply for CalFresh via telephone. 
And so the first priority group that they're calling is actually the IHSS clients. Um, so, so that's amazing. And they started calling August 1st. Um, and then third, um, also actually this week, we've launched five new outstations sprinkled around San Francisco. And so if you guys remember that slide um, on the zip codes, what we did was we worked with DOS. They were really instrumental in helping us on our research to identify um, ADRCs, Aging and Dis Disability Resource Centers, around San Francisco um, that we could potentially co-partner with and then have an outstation. So what we do is we send an eligibility worker out to those sites few, a few days a week and then they help clients apply for CalFresh on the spot. No need for the clients to come into county offices. Really convenient um, for, for the community. And so those five new outstations are the Western Edition Senior Center, Dr. Davis Senior Center in the Bayview, Downtown Senior Center, Curry Senior Center, and OMI Senior Center in Lake Merced. And then before I leave this slide, in June we also so sort of going backwards, we um, launched our enrollment events. So I'm really big on this because I manage it. So if you know of any CBOs, like how, you know, affordable housing sites that may be interested in, in host, you know, hosting enrollment events with us, what we do is we bring our eligibility workers out for like a one-day you know, event where they just help all the residents in a building apply for, for CalFresh. So again, um, yeah, just want to spread the word about that. Okay, so big thanks to our outreach partners. Again, CDSS, the Food Bank, DOS, um, 211 San Diego, Stoopski, getcalfresh.org, and Relief. Um, and call to community partners. We just you know, wanna ask our awesome partners in the community to help us spread the word about this policy shift. Um, you know, help educate your clients um, about this and we at HSA developed a toolkit, it's a partner toolkit, and I can um, share a copy with you all. Um, I can give that to Bridget to, to hand out. Um, and again, please help us to get the word out, let clients know that they can apply online as well. It takes 10 minutes through getcalfresh.org. And this is just, um, just a picture of what the partner toolkit looks like. I have a few copies with me I can pass out today, um, and ways to apply. Um, we incur this is our mantra, click, call, come in. Um, so please, you know, um, to help sort of keep the lines um, workable <laughs> in our county offices, we encourage people to go online, get calfresh.org, it takes 10 minutes, or call our call center, 415-558-4700, or come in to, um, either our county offices or our outstations. So that's it. Thank you very much for your time, and if you have any questions, um, I'm here. Thank you very much. Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, thank you again. Thank you. <clears throat> Item A, review and approval of the California Department of Aging CalFresh expansion contract CF 1920-06, Associated Budget, and all subsequent amendments. Welcome, Mike Zog. 
Uh, good morning, commissioners. Uh, Executive Director McSpadden, how's get that wrong? Welcome, uh, Commissioner Spears. I am Mike Zog with DOS's Office on the Aging. I am also the person partly responsible for sending you this summer reading assignment uh, for today's meeting. But it is important. Uh, the item before you today is a uh, standard CDA contract. It allows us to access $66,000 in funding from the California Department of Aging. Uh, which we and then in turn can use to support CalFresh uh, expansion outreach efforts. Um, it's our intention with your approval to access these funds and in turn pass them along to a uh, community-based provider to, um, to at least help with their efforts and to have all of that fit within um, the SFBN team and the work that Anna Marie is doing um, as our larger city efforts with the CalFresh expansion efforts. Um, let's see, that's kind of sums it up. Any, any questions or concerns from the commission? No, any comments, Commissioner Arcelona? Yeah. Just one, one comment and a question. Um, I think I counted 38 pages for $68,000. Um, uh, it's pretty incredible, uh, but I remember this. Uh, uh, my question is, um, it sounded as Ms. Lara was saying that there's approximately 40,000 new individuals who would be <coughs> eligible for CalFresh. And so is this, this effort supposed to help with that? Is that part of this contract? Correct, yeah. So this is, this is seen as just one sort of part of a larger effort. You know, CDSS, California Department of Social Services, sent some money over to California Department of Aging saying, how about you help with targeting folks 60 and over? They then do a um, allocation based uh, throughout the state and s ultimately come up with $66,000, which comes down to us, which is to be used to, to target um, uh, older adults 60 and over. Um, fully recognizing that $66,000 in the grand scheme is not the largest amount of money available, you know, um, but we hope to at least um, uh, cover at least some staff time at the CBO level to support in the much larger coordinated effort. Maybe one other question. So um, what would you see as being successful at the end of the day um, if we were able to enroll 10,000? Yeah, well, so <laughs> California Department of Aging, they, they are asking us to meet a couple of targets with this, these, this funds, and there are sort of two categories. There's, there's an outreach um, uh, category, how many people do we think we've gotten this information to? That's usually calculated through an estimate, like we hosted this event and approximately 500 people came. Um, the numbers they're asking us to meet um, on that level is in the thousands. Um, there's also a component asking us to actually track um, the amount of applications which are submitted, and that's not actually approved, just submit submission, and there's a mechanism to do that. The number they're asking us to meet is in the hundreds. Um, um, so, and I don't have those exact numbers with me. I'll, I'll send them through to, through Bridget to you. Um, I think those are probably good targets for us to reach. Thank you. Commissioner Pappas? No, I don't. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. Um, all, any further comments or discussion? <coughs> all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? 
Thank you. The motion carries. Item B, requesting authorization to modify the contract with Central Communications, Inc. for provision of hotline answering services for Adult Protective Services, APS, and Family and Children's Services, FCS, for the time period September 1st, 2019 to August 31st, 2021, in the additional amount of $50,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $110,000. Welcome, Carrie Wong. Do I have a motion to discuss? Thank you. Second, Carrie. Good morning, Commissioners. Director McStadden. Um, I'm pleased to present to you the Central Communications contract for your approval. Um, we are requesting for the contract mod to extend two years at $50,000. I do want to note a typo that was kindly pointed out this morning um, that the annual amount it for under the annual amount is for fiscal year 1920, not 1819, for 25,000, and then the fiscal year 1920 is actually 2021. So it's a total of $50,000 modification for the next two years moving forward. So um, per state regulation, both adult protective services and family and children's services are mandated to accept and respond to reports of abuse and neglect on children, older adults, and adults with disabilities. This is on a 24-hour basis, and we have been providing those services for, year, for a number of years. We are adding to the scope of services for these next two years to extend to hotlines for the public guardian and public conservatorships. Um, this will also be for evenings and weekends. Issues range from medical decisions to psychiatric issues that may arise after hours. Sometimes individuals are sick or require code or palliative care decisions, or if they pass away, funeral and burial instructions. This will allow the public guardian and public conservator to be more responsive to the care needs to providers, such as hospitals, skilled nursing homes, and boarding cares, who, are also, who also provide care on a 24-hour basis for individuals who are under conservatorship. There will be a pilot phase this first fiscal year for about three months in the fall. Um, during this pilot phase, there will be no direct impacts on the CCI contract. Um, APS workers will contact the public guardian or public conservator staff directly based on internal DOS protocol. The contractor will be contacted after the after hours program is ready to launch. We will arrange for new hotline numbers. We'll have a marketing strategy and um, be able to do presentations to all our community partners. The current call volumes are about 250 for APS and um, C, uh, Family and Children's Services, respectively. Um, APS tends to average more of these calls. Um, we're not adding new dollars in terms of the contract itself, as there tends to be some contract savings we underspend a little bit every year. Um, and then whatever we develop in terms of this year's for baseline, we will establish trends and we'll reset the amount for future years if needed. And, um, this concludes my report. Thank you very much, Carrie. Any comments or questions? President Serini, I just want to also add that um, Carrie graciously moved over from her previous role as long-term care director for DOS to um, the public administrator, public guardian role. And so she is currently the manager of public guardian administrator and rep payee. 
So I just wanted to point that out because you've seen her in a different role before. Congratulations. Thank it's you. A quite, a, quite a significant challenge, yeah. and I'm sure you're up for it, though. Thank you. Thank Any you. other comments or questions? Commissioner yeah. Liu? I have a question. This program has been, uh, it started in uh, uh, 2017. Has, how do you measure that it's working, success of this program? So the so this contract is for the after hours mm -hmm. contract itself, and so they've had eight, um, family and children's services has had this contract continuously since two thousand nine, and then for um, for APS, it's um, there was one six month period that wasn't CCI, but they've had it continuously. There's annual program monitoring that happens, and they've um, reached all the targets every year. Um, there's, there, we haven't received any complaints or issues from the public regarding any drop calls or any um, <clears throat> problems with the hotline. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Knudsen? You mentioned number of calls, and I think you said 250. Is that for the, 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 this particular contract, the, the after hours and the extra calls that come in, or you know, whatever, the, the, the calls that they're handling, or is this, was that the number of calls that otherwise are handled? So I just wondered, what are the number, of, all I'm asking is what are the usual number of calls you get, they, and what part are they handling? Yeah. Sure, um, so we, we get monthly reports, and then every time there is a call, we also get um, actual, um, like daily, reports of the calls, uh -huh. but we average about 250 per program per, per year, per month, per month. That's, per that's month. the part I was. Yeah. Wondering. Sorry. Okay. Yes. And um, so, so family and children's services is about 250 a month, give or take. And then, um, for adult protective services, the same give or take and APS tends to have more of the calls. Mm -hmm. And then this contract will in, in, include more of the, you're saying it, it expands it to conservator and public guardian right. as well. Right, so during the pilot phase, we'll probably be around September to December, so about three months for us to work out the processes internally and, and um, the training staff and that sort of thing. And so there's no direct, we're, we're not launching any marketing campaign, the public mm -hmm. doesn't know, so there's not gonna be an influx mm -hmm. of calls. They will just go through the normal protocols of calling adult protective services, and if there's a call that requires um, one of the public guardian, public serv uh, conservative programs, then, then we just deal with it internally. So really, there's no direct impact on this contract until at earliest spring. Okay, that explains a lot. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. May I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do you have a second? Second. Thank you. Um, any other comments? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Kerry. Item C, requesting authorization to enter into a new contract with Thomson Reuters for the provision of firm central case management and Westlaw online legal research tools during the period of September 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2022 in the amount of $100,495 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $110,544. Welcome Janet Bosnecker. Um, for the discussion, and do I have a motion to discuss? So move. Do a second? Thank you. Janet? 
Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden. I'm Janet Bosnecker, and I'm the head attorney for the Public Administrator and the Public Guardian, which are two offices housed in DOS. Uh, I'm here before you today for authority to enter into this contract um, with Thomson Reuters to provide our office with Westlaw online research tools and Firm Central case management software. The office is currently using both products. Um, however, it's my understanding that in the prior year, we were able to enter into this arrangement um, through our IT department and procurements, but due to a change in process, uh, given that there is a PPI and a BAA, that needs to be an integrated contract, and that requires the commission's um, approval. So that is why I'm here. I'm happy to answer any questions about the contract if you have them, but I think it's somewhat self-explanatory. Thank you very much. Any Commissioner Liu? Yeah, my question is, uh, I look at the budget. Every year there is a 5% increase. Is that allowable? I don't know. I'm just asking this question. Uh, that's my understanding. If you approve it, it's allowed. Um, any other comments or questions from the commission? And also, when I look at the, at the last page, uh, someone should re-add the number because the number are a little bit off. Five dollars, but it's still not the total, the correct number. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? You none. May I have a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Thank you. Any further comments or questions? All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you very much, Janet. Yeah. <clears throat> Item D. Requesting authorization to enter into a new contract agreement with NetSmart Technologies, Inc. for access <coughs> to DeVero Home Health Electronic Record System during the period of September 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2022 in the amount of $45,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $49,500. Welcome, Ria Mercado to present the item. May I have a motion to discuss? To move. Second? Second. Thank you. Ria? Good morning, President Serena, fellow commissioners, Executive Director Max Patton. My name is Ria Mercado. I'm the nurse manager for the Clinical Quality Assurance Unit uh, here at DAS. Historically, nurses have been integral part of the function of adult protective services and in-home supportive services. While our social workers are doing their hard work investigating abuse or allegation of abuse, our community-based uh, nurses and public health nurses are focusing on the clinical needs of the client, clients with complex functional needs and clinical needs. And we partner with APS, IHSS, in addressing the needs of the clients. Um, and the nurses act as consultants. And um, to document or chart the medical records, our assessments, risk for pressure ulcers, medication records, we use Devero by NetSmart. And that is the software that we use to not only document our clinical findings, nursing findings, 
but also we run reports so we can better know or understand our client population and also address the risk involved with the population we're serving. Um, because of the nature of um, the, the work that we're doing in terms of collecting uh, personal identifier information and also uh, health information, this is the reason why we need to enter into a business agreement, and this is the reason why I'm presenting it to the commission. I'm requesting that we continue to use this software that allows us to document clients' records and allows us to prioritize the client that we need to see uh, when we are partnering with our DAS programs. Thank you very much. Um, any comments or questions of the commission? Just one, um, is there, are we comfortable with the safeguards regarding confidentiality of this information? You, you are comfortable with the safeguards? Yes, okay. I am. Thank you. Yes. You, Even other... my background and what I've seen so far, yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Any other questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do we have a second? Second. Thank you. I'll call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you. Now the item on the agenda is general public comment. Ah. Hello, Jessica. Good morning, commissioners, and welcome to the new commissioners. Uh, my name is Jessica Lehman with Senior and Disability Action. Um, I wanted to comment on the conversation earlier around pedestrian safety. Thank you so much for your your interest and um, attention to this topic. Um, so one thing, um, Commissioner Serena asked a, a question about the electric vehicles on the street, and that's been of, of great concern to a lot of us with the rise of electric scooters and delivery robots. Um, and the MTA, as folks most likely know, at first kind of let, let scooters just kind of run wild on the streets, um, and then fortunately really clamped down and put a lot of limits on it. Um, and so it has been a lot better. We, we are concerned that once the pilot concludes, that may change. And so we will need to be on top of making sure that there are um, serious limits. Because even with, with things being better than they were, they're still not perfect. And we shouldn't have any scooters on the street. We know it's, it's dangerous for everyone, especially seniors and people with disabilities. Um, and similarly, um, we do need to advocate for the MTA to have clear guidelines about delivery robots. Um, you know, it's also part of this bigger question of what's happening to public spaces, that are they being, are public sidewalks being shrunk and taken over by private companies that are, are using them to make money with the example of delivery robots instead of really being spaces that the public can get around freely. Um, and then it, it was mentioned about bus shelters, um, that that's been a concern as well, that a lot of bus shelters have been removed, which makes it difficult for seniors and people with disabilities to wait for the bus, whether it's about not having a place to sit or not being protected from weather. Um, and so, and of course, the, the transit system is very closely linked to people being able to leave their house and get around their neighborhood and their community. Um, as far as the, the MTA staff, it's been an interesting challenge that we've worked with a lot of engineers, but 
there are different engineers working on all of these different projects. And so it's a matter of educating all of them to be thinking about the accessibility concerns. And we've seen with the um, parking protect protected bike lanes um, that have been pushed for good reason to make things safer for bicyclists, that we don't have good solutions on how to make sure those don't restrict accessibility um, for seniors and people with disabilities. And so um, we've been trying to work on coming up with some of those solutions and educating MTA engineers about how they can think about it and coming up with some new ideas. So I would invite any of you who are interested um, to um, participate in Senior and Disabilities Act Senior and Disability Actions Transit Justice Group that meets once a month. It's a community group bringing together seniors and people with disabilities to work on these issues. Um, and Pyra, who was mentioned, is, is the head of that. Um, and then there's also a um, Vision Zero Senior and Disability Pedestrian Safety Group um, that is coordinated by WACSF. And we also meet once a month, and that's um, representatives from different coalitions. Um, so I hope that that helps. Look forward to working with you all on this more. I also want to just ask people to save the date. SDA's annual celebration is on Thursday, October 3rd, um, and we will have invitations at the next meeting, um, but I hope some of you can attend. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Thank you. Then may I have a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second? Second. By rising vote, we are adjourned. Thank you.